Hello and welcome to the Coronation Overreaction. Along with uh, my co nope, along with my co-host Haas Reuter. I'm Greg Mahachko. And oh, this this time around, this go around, we have the honor and privilege of talking about uh, Nebraska's 45 to 7 loss at home to number two Michigan. Before we jump into uh well, it, it, it wasn't a whole lot of good. There was a little bit of bad and quite a bit of ugly. Hoss. Well, you know, we're we're five games in. How you doing? You know, we're two and three. And Michigan was always gonna be a loss from the second the schedule came out, you know, in at the but they rework it in twenty two after the COVID everything, they had to get back into alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan was always going to be a loss, no matter what. Didn't matter how badly we wanted it, you know, and that's a very pointed remark at Steve Sipple's column about, you know, we didn't want it enough. Um, it didn't matter how the, about the want to. It didn't matter what schemes we dialed up. We were simply outgunned in every definition of the word. Like, we got mauled because we don't have the dudes. So, Michigan, that loss, I can excuse it. Don't like it, but I can excuse it. Um, I, well, I, I, I want to piggyback on, and I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I, that's exactly what I did. It, it was when I watched that game, it, and I thought, you know, especially as it went on, like, okay, okay, this is, defense defense isn't getting any stops, um, offense isn't getting any headway. This is just a, a situation of being outplayed. Uh, outplayed by, you know, like I go back to D2, the Mighty Ducks, when everyone's talking about Iceland, and he says they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they have more facial hair. I mean, like that's – That's Michigan. That was what this past Saturday was. And and look, they come in quite heralded again, number two uh, team in the land. Um, and it was very difficult to find any uh, any spaces, any gaps, any weaknesses in their armor. Very solid football team. Yeah, I I think this team might beat Georgia in the playoff. I think this is the year that they're going to do it. That's a good football team, and because Georgia hasn't looked as good as they have in the past. No, they haven't. And I think Michigan's probably the best team in the country right now. It. Well, no, we that's that doesn't affect us, and that's month and a half down the road. Let's not talk about the game. Uh, let's talk about this game. From the beginning, I mean, it, things just started to go sideways. We we let them off the hook on some third and shorts, on some fourth and shorts, um, but you kind of get got the feeling that Michigan was going to impose their will because they could. Yeah, when they're running the same schemes over and over again, very simple schemes, they're just relying on their uh, physical advantage. And, you know, let's call it what it is. It's a talent advantage. Um that's what's Harbaugh in his ninth year at Michigan, I think, eighth, ninth year. Um, he's steadily recruited to a system. He's steadily recruited to a culture. That culture has been strong. He hit that little downturn from, you know, in 2017, then again in 2019, 2020, and then they came out of it. He got better. He continued to work. So us going up against – basically nine years of progress and we're only four games into the Matt rule era. That result is about what 
it should be expected in that case. Because when you look at it, there is nothing on this team right now that suggests that we could go toe-to-toe or even have a close game with Michigan. The roster is pretty devoid of talent in the upperclassmen ranks. There's a lot of lower classmen who look promising. I think this freshman class, there's going to be a lot of really good football players in it. But Scott Frost absolutely cratered this program. And I think that needs to be said, you know, more than it is because there seems to be this, oh, sorry, just didn't work out. But then a lot of vitriol is aimed towards Bill Callahan and Mike Riley. Well, guess what? Bill Callahan and Mike Riley, they left the program in better hands than they found it. Bill Callahan left a fully stocked roster for Bo to step in and have immediate success. If Bo doesn't micromanage his offensive coordinators and we avoid some injury issues, probably playing for a national championship in 2009 and 2010. If he cashes in on the success of Indomitian and Sue in recruiting defensive linemen, we'll probably have a lot better defenses in 11, 12, 13, and 14. Mike Riley left a fully stocked cupboard on offense for Scott Frost. Scott Frost didn't leave behind one single fucking thing. No, I- he got torn down to the studs through his own ineffectual coaching through his own just sheer ignorance of addressing key concerns and personnel in establishing a strong culture where people wanted to stick around. I mean, this thing, like, it can't be said enough. And I want to say it because I think that there's, again, there's still some people who think that it's a, oh, shame it didn't work out. Scott Frost absolutely destroyed this football program. Okay. It was already on life support. It was already declining steadily. He was the final death blow. Plunge the dagger into the program's back. And the fact that we have people like Steve Sippel writing columns suggesting Michigan just wanted it more when there was nothing of the sort, nothing of the sort for other coaches like Frost when he got beat by Michigan 2018, 56 to 10 and only had 132 yards of total offense. No such article, but there is four games into the Matt rule era. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't mean to go on a soapbox there, but it's absolutely no. ridiculous. Well, I want to talk about that because we collectively Husker media, Husker you know, fan podcast, etc gave Frost, I mean, first of all, we gave him an exhaustible amount of leash. And he should have you know, fired I, after 2020. Well, let, let me let me finish my thought here. When he came in and he said, oh, you know, gosh, the the perception, both from what he alluded to and then what we all ran with was that Mike Riley left the cover pretty bare. No. Not and at you're, all. And you're, I mean, but that's 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 what the narrative was for you know 2018, 2019 is he had to build everything back up. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, and and not the talent. It's not too bad when you inherit. Sorry to interrupt, but mm-hmm. it's not too bad when you inherit Stanley Morgan, J.D. Spielman, Jack Stoll, Divino Zigbo, Brandon Hymas, you know, Matt Farniak, guys who were either on NFL rosters or spent time on NFL rosters. Maybe Probably Will Farniak too, right? 
Uh, I'm not sure. He inherited Will Farniak, too. That's right. I don't know about his future after he transferred to Tulsa, what transpired. But, you know, that was – there was some serious talent there that was left behind. Austin Allen, you know, was a Mm. right guy as well. Um, There's nothing on this offense. We we are fielding an offense that I'm not sure – I'm not so sure that some high-level FCS defenses couldn't slow down. Because that now, we just don't have the athletes. And it doesn't help that we lost two guys for the season, Ramir Johnson, Gabe Irvin Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, we've got a quarterback situation that I think is muddier now than it was two weeks ago. Um, yes. And, and I, want, I want to talk about that because that seemed to be the, you know, what the commentators and, and what replays and, and watching live seemed to show. Heinrich Harburg – we have to do something about his throwing motion. The forty-five, the sidearm, forty-five degree stuff. That's why so many bottle or bottle. That's why so many uh, balls are being batted down. Or as we saw in, I think his first pass on Saturday, being tipped up in the air and and up for grabs for defensive linemen to come away with an interception. Something has to give. He's six four, but maybe a hair, hair taller, right? I yes. mean, if he. Four six five. If he has a true overarm throwing motion, you can alleviate a lot of those issues. Yeah, and I think what you said, the quarterback position being even murkier, it's evident that Heinrich Harburg was able to step in admirably through Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech. And Michigan, I'm not going to put a lot – at his feet on this because of the fact that it's Michigan, as we described, you know, that loss, you could play that game a hundred times with the current rosters and Michigan's going to win probably 100 times. But I think this game really showed that we're going to need Jeff Sims moving forward this year as well. And hopefully some time on the bench, you know, can get his mind right. In addition to getting a hundred percent healthy from the ankle injury. But I think that, I'm trying to think of the correct way to word this. I think that no matter what happens moving forward with whoever is at quarterback in this offense, I think that you have to embrace the fact that you're going to have to have a quarterback-centric running game, very heavy quarterback-centric running game, like we talked about last week. And it looked like against Michigan, that just wasn't in the cards, honestly, because I think that, uh, you know, they were able to contain it. And I think we probably were looking, hey, let's not subject our quarterbacks to too many hits against these guys. No, that's fair. And that was a fear going into it, which we talked about is the Michigan had the athletes to be able to take away the option game because they can set the edge on the outside, but they can also put a backer, a linebacker on uh, on the quarterback to spy and really rendered the quarterback run game, I was going to say ineffectual, but I also, the other words that came were impotent and flaccid. So (laughs) it just, I mean, we go from, no, you know, he had, I think he, uh, pronounced pal, Heinrich Harbour had over a hundred yards rushing in the game against uh, um, Louisiana tech. And, about 98 in, against Northern Illinois. Yep, and he had negative uh, two yards rushing against Michigan. The, the 
the leading rusher for Nebraska was Josh Fleeks, and he had one carry for seventy four. It was it was it mattered. I mean, it was, I mean, look, at the, in the in the grand scheme of the game, no, it didn't oh, matter. God, but no. it it kept it kept Nebraska from being shut out, which would have been the first home shutout since nineteen sixty eight, sixty six, something like that. I mean, just I think, it was a, 60, I think my dad mentioned he was at that game in sixty eight when he was ten years old. Oh gosh, Kansas State, I think. Um, I mean, you know, just the, Nebraska could not run the ball, which is a shame because coming into the game, they were, you know, in, in among the top 10 for, you know, rushing. And at the same time, they couldn't stop the run. No. And that's going to get you beat a lot in the Big Ten, not being able to run the ball or stop the run. Uh, let's but, look at Heinrich. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean it. His passing numbers were 14 of 25 and one interception for 199 yards. He was sacked four times. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of the thing, uh, JJ McCarthy went 12 of 16 for 156 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and they also had three other quarterbacks play for a combined uh, four out of seven for another, you know, 31 yards, but a touchdown. I mean, come on. It's. Yeah, it was just it was a frustrating game all the way around. Uh, we should have expected it. I'm still one of those, you know, the eternal optimist. Uh, I, but even when I was like, oh, we're down fourteen nothing at the end of the first quarter. Oh, I oh, thought, yeah. oh, trust me. I was, I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, yeah, if it, I, I even, I even tweeted after Michigan scored the uh, the second time or, or X'd or whatever the hell that you're supposed to, you know. Um, we're, anyway, we're too old. Yeah, we're, we're too old. I said, that's right. I'm old and stuck in my ways. But I said, you know what? If uh, if Michigan only scores four, these 14 points, then Nebraska still has a chance, right? <laughs> that ended up not being the case. But hope springs eternal. Always. And you know what? We'll come back uh, this week on the road at Illinois, uh, and and we'll uh, I'll drink the Kool Aid no once again. Yeah. And we'll- I, I I already know. It's like. This is a very crude analogy, and I'm going to say this analogy with a disclaimer attached to the front of it, okay? I have never done illicit drugs. Uh Uh-oh. Ever. Okay? Except being a Nebraska fan. (laughs) Well, that's kind of the the analogy here. Being a Husker fan must be like what being a heroin addict is. I've Because, you know, background psychology – I've read the you know DSM diagnostic statistical manuals DSM five statistical service manual they're interchangeable, and the hallmarks of a, addiction are the same thing for Husker football as it is for something like heroin. We know it's bad for us, we know it's bad for us, and yet we're still bringing ourselves right back every freaking Saturday. I'll be pumped for Friday night against. Illinois, and you know it's even worse when we're in November and we're playing teams, you know, like let's say Wisconsin, Iowa. I would be, you know, thinking how we're going to beat Wisconsin. Be thinking how we're going to notch a road win at Michigan State. I will go back to the well, even though I know it's bad for my health. Being a Husker fan, let's just face it, everybody, being a Husker fan is bad for our health right now. There are definitely uh, more productive ways to – you know, spend, a Saturday. spend your Saturday afternoon. I don't know what those are. Uh, this, this, I didn't. Saturday, I was locked into the game. 
Sunday, I went out and dug up two small trees and a bunch of uh, uh, invasive grass. And I paid, I mean, like, I'm, I'm old and I got bad. Every time, like, I'm, I'm stomping down on my shovel, like, it just shook my leg and, and like, just it's bone on bone on my knee. So none of that was fun. Um, but I got to say that I got this anecdote. So, you know, you're, it's hot and so it's like 90 degrees. Get in, you know, the shirt is soaked in sweat. So I just took it off, put it in the washing machine. And, and my boy, who was out, my oldest, who was out there helping me, he's like, Dad. I was like, Yeah. He's like, you look like you lost a lot of weight out there because I'm a bigger guy. And, and I said, buddy, if that were the case, I'd go out there for another three hours and do that. <laughs> oh, it was no. Um, speaking of the heat, this was a thing that they were talking about. It, Huskers.com and, and, you know, I, Nebraska's social media was saying, Hey, you can bring one, you know, Closed container of non-alcoholic beverage in uh, because of the heat. The write-up for the story said that the temperature at kickoff was 93 degrees and matched the hottest at game time since uh, in, inside Memorial Stadium since 1985. That doesn't seem like that could be the case. Like it, no. it, it, I, See, I thought the same thing because there was a season opener against Wyoming in 2013 that I'm pretty sure it was upper 90s. It was above 90. I mean, we've had hotter days than than you know the last day of September. You again, you would think that some of those late August games would be hitting almost triple digits. But like, look, both teams had to play in it. I'm not using definitely not using that as an excuse. It's just odd that it was, you know, like highlighted as it's been the hottest you know game and it kickoff in Memorial Stadium in almost forty years. I was like, it again. It just didn't seem to make sense to me. No, it didn't make sense to me either, especially and, because, like, I I know that there's been games that are hotter. Talking about, you know, we talked about personnel on the offensive side who were out. On the defensive side, we were without uh, Lenhart, Reimer. Luke Reimer, uh, and then we lost very early on in the game. Um, and we were all recording. Yeah, Deshaun Siegel. But we were all already, again, without uh, Dwight Boodle as well. So, I mean – Man, we're just—I'm not saying that 100% healthy Nebraska beats 100, you know, Michigan. I'm saying it probably would have been a little closer, right? I mean, if we had if we had Luke Reimer, who who's been a very reliable uh, tackler for, if we had Gabe Irvin Jr., who or and if we had all of our weapons, I again, I this is me I, being optimistic. I know, I know, and I don't want to throw cold water on it, but I'm going to. I don't think it would have made much of a difference. I really it could have been closer, right? I mean, instead of a 38-point differential? No, I think it would have been about the same. I think Michigan is that far ahead of us right now. Well, let me let me ask you that this question then, because everybody's going to want to know. How do we level up? It's going to take probably two, three years if not longer. I mean, when you're talking about this being a rebuild, it is truly a rebuild in every definition of the word. 
Um, you got to rebuild the personnel. I know everybody hates hearing the rebuild culture. You know, Frost turned that into such a buzzword jargon term in 2018 as well. But it is true. But I, that's one area that I think Rule has done a really nice job in, you know, rebuilding the culture in short order. We just have to get players developed. And whether that's, you know, on the offensive line, at the quarterback position, at the receiver position, at running back, whether that's on defense, you know, I like where our defense is at, but, you know, you got to continue to develop, you know, guys. And so I think that you're probably, I think, and this, this goes into a topic that I think is something that probably needs to be discussed at some point. If we can get to six and six with what we have to work with right now, that will be a miracle. And like, and here's the thing, not like, not like we're so bad. It'll be a miracle. I'm just talking like, that would be a great thing for this roster, for this program right now, to go six and six to get to a bowl game. It is doable with the nature of the Big Ten West. It is doable with the fact that we have a defense that we're not going to see another Michigan the rest of the year. We are not, you know. So every, we could be in every game moving forward. Now, the reason why I say that we need to look at six and six as being such a big deal is. We have this tendency as a fan base where when we're really bad, we fire a coach. In the first offseason, we have really low expectations. Then what happens is that as that season starts creeping closer and closer, our expectations start going up. They start creeping up as well. We start talking ourselves into eight, nine, ten wins. What if this is like – Bob Stoops at Oklahoma coming in immediately. I'm not singling you out, Greg. I feel attacked. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm just talking in general because I think the psychology of that, of that expectation creep, the, what creeps up as we get closer to the first season under a head coach, that skews our perception, okay? That skews our perception, and then when you start losing a couple of games, it's, oh, my God, you mean Jeff Sims isn't the greatest thing on earth? Oh, my God, we're not going to go 12-0? and 0. And then you start getting people who start, you know, the natives start getting restless, so to speak, you know, the everybody inside the Cornhusker State. And so when you think about it from that perspective, it's like we have to have appropriate expectations. And, you know, drink the Kool-Aid a little bit, you know, all you want. I refuse. <laughs> But I think that when we have these outsized expectations, what happens is you have a lot of people talking. And this is where I'm not talking about you at all right here, Greg. Hand to God, I am not. We have people who talk out out of both sides of their mouth where they have these outsized expectations. And then they also have this leeriness towards a new coach where you're already seeing some people, you know, I've seen it on social media. You know, you see the bow references, you see the frost references about how they were better. And I've seen people comparing rule to Mike Riley. Oh, he's just a nice guy, but he doesn't win. You can't have it both ways of high expectations while holding the head coach in contempt. You just, you can't, you know? And so what ends up happening in, and it happened in 2018 as well is the fact that, we were a bad football team at the end of 2017. We all knew that we were a bad football team. Yet we let expectation creep creep in as the season got closer, had these outsized expectations for year one under Frost. Then we started 0-6. Now there's two problems right here with that. One, 
we shouldn't have had the expectation creep, you know, creep in. We should have been content with six and six and anything more is just great. But at the same time, we start 0 and 6 and we just accept it. You know, I think, you know, everybody just kind of accept it. Media, fans, whatever. Here's the thing, though. We weren't a football team at the end of 2017 that was so bad that you would think they would start 0-6 the following year. We were bad, not 0-6 bad. So Frost, that's what I mean when I said earlier that Frost cratered this program even further. Now, with Rule, he's still cleaning up from that. And we have people who are already in the media who are already saying, you know, kind of casting doubts upon, you know, his efforts of rebuilding the culture about how Michigan just wanted it more. I can want to, I can want to beat Usain Bolt in a 100 meter race worse than anything I've ever wanted in my entire life. Guess what? I am never going to wake up and go run and be faster than him in my entire life, no matter how much I want it. No, I was going to say something. That's a really violent and negative comment um it was a joke and i hope it'd be perceived as such um okay all right i'll i'll dress it up in a way what if you what if you tanya harding him (laughs) that that doesn't count okay all right well you you want the best you know mono e mono i don't know there's a million dollars on the line no i'm talking about intrinsic motivation (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm I'm talking about winning a race, making some money. <laughs> but you know, the whole the whole thing it just gets back to I know. expectations. It just gets back to you know. I think there needs to be a standard in place that applies evenly, whether you were born in the state of Nebraska or not. When you're the head coach at Nebraska, there needs to be standards evenly applied, and I think that we all need to take a step back and realize that. Uh, Marcus Satterfield is actually coaching his ass off, you know, like now it's, explain it's that because he, okay. Go ahead. he, he gets some, some I, I don't, heat. He gets some uh, vitriol on online, which if it's online, he's not seeing it. He doesn't care, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but, but there's a lot of negative negativity, you know, slung his way and and you're on the other side you're you know it it, and we've touched on it a little bit before but since we have the time uh why is why is your stance that he's doing a hell of a job well i mean first off look at what he has to work with talent wise (laughs) that's fair i mean like that's like that's like taking me into (laughs) d-day i mean (laughs) don't sell yourself short man uh you know Nick Saban could be the head coach with Jesus Christ as his offensive coordinator, and I'm not sure if, you know, this offense could do any better. Although. Or J.C. would make one good O.C. Can you imagine the Hail Mary passes that would be completed? Uh, Yeah, 100% success. A little Catholic football humor here. Uh, Watch it. We we better cut that off. They're going to send us to Notre Dame. Oh, dang. I don't want to go to South Bend, Indiana. Do you want to go to South Bend? No, I mean, no, I mean, I said this, but like they'll they'll make us turn this into a, a oh, an God, Irish no. podcast or something. Oh God, I I can't stand that. All right, moving on. Saturday, um, yes, <laughs> but yeah. So like, what he has to work with. I mean, it is the Apollo thirteen mission trying to get those guys back from space. 
you know, just like looking at what he has to work with. And what do you know? He ends up with a solid what I thought was a solid game plan against Minnesota, looking back on it in retrospect, you know, at the time didn't love it. But then when I re- rewatched it, I saw it was just real small mistakes held us back in that game in the run game. And obviously the turnovers, but each game he's really tried to tailor the game plan to what we can do well and what the weaknesses of the defense are. So against Colorado, we were very inside zone heavy. We were trying to dress it up with motions and misdirection, but we were mostly inside zone blocking. Against Minnesota, we were pulling guards and H-backs a lot. We run a lot of counter. And then against Northern Illinois, we were a little bit more under center, just attacked them more directly. Louisiana Tech, they were kind of an internal inside control team with what they like to do defensively with twists and stunts. So we're getting the ball out on the perimeter with option plays. And then Michigan, that's not a fair assessment to assess the efficacy of the play calling or the game plan against Michigan when you're looking at the talent at disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you could have the world's greatest game plan drawn up. And if guys can't get out there and execute the plays, you're not going to do anything. You know, it's it's the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. As much as I love to discuss scheme, it still comes down to athletes, you know. I, I want to – You know, when you look at, like, the drive against Louisiana Tech where Anthony Grant scored, we kept running power O, you know, from an unbalanced formation. When you look at the incorporation of the belly option or some of the speed option plays or the old, you know, 49 or 41 pitch – you know, the old Tom Osborne toss sweep. Those things, I mean, we're kind of scrambling to find something that works, but he's leaving no stone unturned. That's one thing that I've always wanted from an offensive coordinator at Nebraska is like the willingness to always try whatever they can to move the football and score points. At some point, we just have to go, hey, we just don't have the dudes to do it. You know, not yet. Let I want to compare and contrast to the best of our ability, Minnesota-Michigan games, not the teams. Teams are wildly different. But I remember, since you brought up the Minnesota game, after the Minnesota game you said, my most positive takeaway is the the loss was self-inflicted with mistakes that can be fixed. And then we talk about Michigan where there weren't a hard – I mean – we didn't have the ball enough to make a whole lot of self-inflicted mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of, of the 60 minutes of football, they had possession 36 or 37 minutes, something like that. I mean, the one, the Minnesota game, you know, the loss, we we can correct those. We can not cough up the ball as often as we did. We can against the caliber of that an opponent of that caliber. Right. Michigan, like you said, we need more dudes. All things being equal. Like Minnesota is a good example of if you're in a game against talent that, you know, you're equal to and, you know, you can get by you. It comes down to the small mistakes that are going to, you know, decide, you know, the small details are going to, you know, decide the outcome of the game, win or lose. When you're playing against a team that's in a whole other weight class above you, those small details, those small mistakes, they're magnified even further because 
It's like Al Pacino says in any given Sunday, one half step too slow, too early, don't quite catch it. You know, it's a game of inches. So if you're trying to kick out a defensive end on counter as the pulling guard and you're looking at, you know, his near hip, near shoulder to, you know, kick out, you know, get him turned out to the sideline and he's faster than you and he can squeeze that down block and, you know, throw his hips around, you know, and wrong arm you doesn't matter you know how well you're trying to execute your technique that guy's just bigger faster and stronger than you he beat you to your landmark you know if you're turner corcoran and you're going up against this and you're already kind of struggling against uh you know competition and then you're going up against guys that are going to be nfl draft picks at defensive end you're going to really struggle you know with your kick step and trying to drop your anchor you know against this bull rush you know, it's going to be a long day for you. But yeah, those mistakes are going to be even more amplified. That's not to say, you know, like Brennan Hymas, he got schooled against Rashawn Gary in 2018 in that in that bloodbath when we were up in Ann Arbor. But and Brennan Hymas is an NFL left tackle now for the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, but you know, that's a case of Brennan Hymas was good against opponents of a similar caliber. Then we were playing teams like Michigan, Ohio State. It's a little bit different. You know, those small things are magnified. Mm-hmm. Corcoran has struggled against, you know, competition. Like competition. Yeah. ourselves to be peers with, you know, so it's going to be even more amplified in a game like this. Heinrich Harburg isn't the greatest passer against Northern Illinois. Oddly enough, he actually completed seven in a row at one point against Michigan, you know. But there are all those examples where – it goes to show how complex of a game it is. You know, it's it's like, you know, the different scheme and talent swirls together. It's like a marble cake. Those lines swirl together where one stops and starts. You can't really tell. And so we just got to get better. We got to get better up front. You just just equated the schemes to marble cake and I can't. (laughs) You know, you know how marble cake swirls. I know, together. I know all about marble cake. Marble yeah, cake was my wedding cake. Yeah, marble cake's awesome. But it like, is, but like I wasn't prepared for that analogy, so it I, I bumped it. I'm like, not now you just got me thinking about cake. Yeah, well, fair enough, cake. You know, it's some good shit. Um, uh, well, no, yeah, we should make it better. That's that's the whole thing. Like, I'm gonna say this first from an immediate standpoint for the rest of this season. Get better week over week. You know, you're playing teams that you're not playing Michigan on the schedule again. So don't let them beat you again this Friday. Right. You know, like flush it and move on. You know, I really liked how Rule, you know, had them out in full pads yesterday. On I saw that. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a big thing where it's like flush it and move on. Let's get ready for Illinois. But at the same time, shortened week so they don't have that traditional Sunday day of rest, day of recovery because they have to turn the page. It, honestly – might be the best thing for them. Yeah, because there's nothing. It's like, you know, I was listening to Travis and Jason Kelsey's podcast and they had Julian Edelman on there. And Edelman was taught. And I know Bill Belichick gets a lot of references on our podcast here, Greg. But you do love you some Billy B. Edelman was talking about, or they asked Edelman what he thought Belichick would have done last year when they lost to the Raiders because of the ridiculous laterals. And that remember the end of game situation, the hand Patriots hand off to Ramondre Stevenson on a draw. He laterals it to somebody. He 
then somebody else allows it to Jacoby Myers. Then he tries a cross field pass lateral and it gets picked off by Chandler Jones and he runs it back for a touchdown, you know? And they were asking Edelman, like, you know, Belichick's, you know, hard ass. What do you think he, how do you think he addressed the team after that? And he goes, well, that's the thing about Bill, you know, like in a game like that, he's going, guys, let's just flush it and move on. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing, you know, like, we just got beat. There's nothing to be learned from this, you know, like, let's move on. Because you're trying to protect confidence at that point, you know. Right. When you win, he said when they won, that's when he would hammer guys, you know, in film. Being like, oh, you think you're great? I coached LT, you know. You ain't shit, you know, basically. (laughs) And that really is a... That really is a great point because there was a quote that I heard from Joel Klatt on Joel Klatt's podcast earlier back, right when college football started in September. And he said, treat winners like they're losers and losers like they're winners because losers just need some confidence and winners need to get back to the grindstone. Need to be humble. Yep. So I think that it's a good approach just to flush it and move on. Just, you know, you're not you're not going to gain any schematic insight from it because they didn't really do anything special scheme wise against us. They kicked our ass with inside zone and this wedge play that they like to run in short yardage. They lined up and just got pressure with four a lot of mm-hmm. times when they're on defense. Flush it and move on. The only thing that you're going to do is you're going to undermine these guys confidence more and more if you continue to drill down on what they did wrong against guys that. Again, it's like the Usain Bolt analogy. Yeah, you know, it's so uh, you, you just gotta you gotta build up, and you got a great opportunity to go on the road and beat a coach who has run his mouth time and time again about our program to beat a team that we haven't beat since 2019, and to really get yourself at three and three heading into the bye. I would like for nothing more. I will be at that game Friday night. I'm taking my oldest. Uh, took a little little selling on my here. I've, I've sold two things to my, to my oldest. Uh, first of all, I got these tickets during the Louisiana Tech game, um, and so I sold them on that. And I said, "Buddy, you want to go?" I don't know. I said, "Well, it'll be fun. Let's go." And, and we're gonna go with another buddy of mine because uh, it's gonna be a late night. But then the other thing that I sold him to do, he said he found two quarters in the playground today at school, and I was like, "Buddy, you got a lot of money in your bank account." You have two brothers who I think have a dollar in your bank in your in your piggy bank, which his is an R two D two bank, which is cool. Uh, I said your brothers only have like a dollar. Well, you want to you want to split those and, and give? He's like, well, I'll give one to one, but I'm gonna hold on to the other. I said, well, that's not really. So he actually put both quarters into his brothers' banks. So those are two big sales uh, for the day. There you go. Illinois is a winnable game. Yes, it is. I think they're favored by three and a half, um, which is, as they tend to say, is the home field advantage. And what are they, one in three this year, one in four? They're two and three. Is it Purdue that's, I think, is sitting at one win? But Purdue just beat them. Okay, then I must be thinking, I must have read something before the game, before this past weekend's games. Uh, let's see. Now you got me doubting myself. Um, they are one no, zero and two in conference. Um, is is Illinois, and they are, yeah, they're two and three 
um, to, uh, overall. They have a win over Florida Atlantic, which was a six-point win. They have a two-point win over Toledo. They have losses to Kansas, Penn State, and Purdue. Purdue beat them 44-19 just this past Saturday. So, Well, I, I will say this. I know we don't normally do predictions, but I'm not really, you know, there's a long period between when we record following a game and then fall, you know, it's a week between. Mm -hmm. So I will say, I'm going to close out with a couple of predictions here. Okay. The first one is I think we go to Champaign and win a real ugly, I mean, it's beautiful for us, but the casual observer might think it's ugly. I think we win a real, you know, gritty back alley kind of brawl of a game. I'm going to say Nebraska 17, Illinois 13. Secondly, we follow that up with a bye week and then Northwestern and Lincoln and Purdue and Lincoln. I think this is the part of the season that we got to start making a run. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to predict that after the bye, we get healthy. I'm going to predict that we're sitting at five and three, heading up to East Lansing on November 4th with bull eligibility on the line. And I will be at that game in East Lansing. There are really Michigan State. Michigan I don't State say they're not good either. I'm telling you, like, as far-fetched as it sat, like, when we started the podcast to now at the 4121 mark, I'm sure that, you know, people are thinking, like, what the hell? You just said that we don't have dudes, you know, that we suck, you know, that, like, (laughs) neither do they. (laughs) Yeah, neither do they. (laughs) Neither do they. You know, Illinois lost a shit ton off last year's. Yeah. Northwestern is Northwestern. Let's just, you know, I don't think I think they're still very volatile after everything that happened over the offseason. I think, you know, they beat Minnesota and then they come back, they play Penn State tough, and then Penn State blows them out of the stadium for the rest of the game. And so Purdue, they're still having some problems as well. And so I really think that we could be five and three heading into East Lansing if we just continue to play football the way that we need to play. To make the to get the most out of what we have to work with on offense and to supplement our defense. Okay. On offense, I do think that we probably need to go back to Jeff Sims at some point. I think that he's more of a Harburg's a good runner too. I think Sims is more of a home run threat with his legs, and Sims is a better passer than Harburg. So I think we're gonna have to at some point go back to Sims. Well, I I, you know, nothing's etched in stone in the wor- world of podcasts. Uh, I was definitely one of those few months or few months, few weeks ago who was saying, uh, you know, only Heinrich and, you know, only ever Heinrich. Uh, but unless he can get that throwing motion more over the top, you know, it, it's, it's he's got to fix that release point. I'll say this in the Big Ten, at least in the Big Ten, as it is now in 2023, not what it's going to be next year. Uh, there are only three teams with dudes. Yep. And we played one of them. The other one's Ohio State and then Penn State last. Those are – Sorry. I was just going to say three te- teams out of 14 
have – dude, everybody else Nebraska can play with. Nebraska can hang with. Um, and, and yeah, I, I'll go one step further and say Nebraska will be bowl eligible after their trip to East Lansing. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. And then you, you, you toss the coin with Maryland, but then you – defend the home field against Wisconsin, and then you go on the road and you beat Iowa because there are bitches. I don't care if we've won one out of eight. There are bitches. Hey, we uh, we established a new order last <laughs> Black Friday. We restored the order. Here's the thing. If we win in East Lansing to lock up bowl eligibility, I will do a 15-minute coordination overreaction from wherever I am at in East Lansing on my phone. I will – I will. We can make that happen. You can actually do this streamyard from digital devices, so we can uh, drunk fun hoss. I yeah. can imagine. I mean, like I, I, <laughs> I will make that promise to you. Like I will. I don't care if I'm standing in the parking lot, you know, afterwards, or at you know at a bar or something. We will do this. Yeah. I know. I think we kicked this around more uh, off air a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about. Next year's game in Lincoln, that's Colorado-Nebraska. And you said, Greg, that's the game you need to get to. Yes. Uh, friend of the show, Josh, wants to know if he could come along to that game too. Hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. And then I think that's the same, Josh, who you, who you said uh, we you need to go out and do the the branding together, <laughs> do do the coordination overreaction from the from the, the ranch. So uh, Yeah, from uh, cattle camp. We'll see. From yeah. cattle camp, that's good. <laughs> All right. As always, folks, I'm going to hold my I prediction. I was going to say, oh, I thought you were closing it out. No, no, go go for it. No, 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 no. I was just going to say that, as always, I uh, will hold on to my prediction until the Five Heart podcast this week, which should be on Wednesday, uh, just so we can have 24, 48 hours before to get as many eyes on it as possible before I get in the Friday night game. So, Haas, take it away. I was just going to say this. I, I think because the Big Ten has a tie-in with the Las Vegas Bowl, and I believe it was Big Ten Pac-12, I believe. All I'll say is how poetic would it be? <laughs> Us at 6-6, six and six, Colorado continues to get their asses humbled, but they're still bowl eligible, 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. And we have ourselves a good old-fashioned rematch in the bowl game, like the time that we had to have a rematch with Washington in the holiday. No. You know, I would – let me tell you this. I would be out in Vegas in a heartbeat to be at that game. I believe every bit of that. Um, and and because the airline with which the, the Raiders stadium is named after Allegiant Air is a smaller airline. It's not, you know, a Delta or United or anything like that. There's a, a small airport – 20 minutes from my house that flies direct to Las Vegas to and from. So I see where you're going with this. I see where I'm going with this. Uh, have coordination overreaction from a casino hotel. After I was thinking, Colorado. I've been watching some videos. We might have to do it from the sphere. Have you seen, are you up to date yes. with the sphere in, in Vegas? Yeah, I saw some, I don't that know how nuts. I feel about it. It's like, it's like you're in an IMAX theater. That's like massive. It just it's it's almost a little off putting. I mean, it could be, but it also kind of fun. So, um, it would be. I'll tell you what, John Johnston over on the Five Heart Podcast has gone on record to say that at the end of the regular season, Nebraska will have a better record than Colorado when it's all said and done. 
I could see I could see Colorado going five and seven, truly good. I could see Colorado going six and six and us going seven and five. A few things break our way. And I mean, since we're still here, I mean and I don't do the five heart. Can I just go down the line of how I think the games will shake out the rest of the year? No. Oh, I got this <laughs> we week. can say that one for next week. All right. Because well, I, I was gonna ask you, I was gonna ask you about that, but I'm like, nah, we can say that. We're gonna start out going one and oh this week. The most Maybe important game on the schedule is the next game on the schedule. We hit three wins. We're halfway to bowl eligibility with six to go. And then, and damn we can, it, we need to get there. We haven't been to a bowl game since the Obama administration. <laughs> you, you keep bringing that up. It's not. It doesn't make anybody feel any better. It, it's for emphasis to show how far <laughs> that we've fallen, how we need to get back, and to make people realize to quit predicting going twelve and zero, Greg. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about, there, Hoss. I was on the record saying 15 and 0, so I don't know what this 12 and 0 crap is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Regular season. <laughs> All right. Well, you know that'll what? do it. I hope What's that it? you and your son have a great time in Champagne, and I hope that next week we're doing a overreaction victory edition. We should. It'd be nice. It'd be a nice change of pace. I mean, I know we just did one last week, but, but no, it's not, not in Big Ten. Not in Big Ten. And it's, it's Brett Bielema. Oh God, Burton! I fucking hate that guy. Same. I, I hate his whole family. I mean, like he just he, he pisses me off. Hey, you know what? I, I he could be a decent enough person. I don't know. I don't think he is. You know, just no. based on how he you know his remarks. He he's a turd. You know, is it, does he wear a hat or does he wear a I think he visor? Has, I don't know. No, I think he always has his hair nice and combed. Oh God, he's a gelled up turd. <laughs> Bert Bielema, you gelled up turd. Can't wait to see you on Friday and watch Nebraska stomp a mud hole in you. And walk it dry. You know, figuratively speaking. All right. <laughs> that is it for this uh, version of the uh, coordinate. I almost said the fire. No, the coordination overreaction from a buddy, Hossroyd, right over here, Greg Mahachko this guy uh we'll see you next time around uh where we'll be celebrating a nebraska victory uh so until then go big red win the damn game go one and oh